0: Land is a great investment. it's not like they're making more of it, right? Well, I mean, you wouldn't think that based on how we treat it. You'd think that we were making that shit like Big Pharma makes pills or McDonald's makes pucks of nutria. But the demand for more and more land is growing all across the world. But why? Why do we seem so hungry for land when, by all accounts and measurements, we have more than enough for everyone? And why do we have so much that we aren't using this week uh, why aren't you talking about this Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of WayTat. I'm your host, William, and I will be your surf guide today through the wild world of land management. Uh, the joke being is that I, I don't own land. Uh, before we continue, I just want to thank you all so much for listening. It means the world. Even if you're only listening to make it seem like you're just like those brokies gathering on your lawn to protest your land ownership. Oh, uh, turn off the, the volume real quick. Hey guys, you should probably clear out, uh, this one is unarmed and has very easy to break windows and the police department is about 13 minutes away. Anyways, uh, make sure to like the show, share the podcast, check me out on YouTube and subscribe to the feed. Also leave a rating and review, it helps out the show a lot. Um, I still don't really have any announcements uh, to make or pressing concerns to address. I haven't gotten emails about those. Um, but if you have any ideas on how to make the show better or get the word out, uh, feel free to let me know. Um, I'm still very much a small enough of a creator for you to just hit me up directly and for me to be able to get back to you. Um, so yeah, just if you have anything to say, uh, but with that, let's get into the episode. All right. So today we're talking about land management and usage. Wait, wait, wait. Don't turn it off. I know this sounds boring, but just trust me on this one. I, I got it. But I do gotta warn you, this one intersects quite a bit with eco-warrior bullshit, because the context that a lot of people talk about this is in the sense of ecological preservation and keeping the natural world natural. Okay, but now that I have some warning out of the way that totally dropped the listenership to zero, let's talk about some actual, like, definitions. So beginning with what exactly land usage means, and this is basically just the process of managing, modifying, and using the environment, and taking the natural world and turning into artificial environments. And wrapped up into this is land development, which is altering the landscape through changing natural features into something that humans can use, a subdivision of land into lots and districts, and altering those subdivisions. Also wrapped into it is land degradation, where we basically fuck something up about the environment that causes environmental changes. Things like war, pollution, radiation, and uh, poor crop management can cause it. And there's a list of 36 things that can happen from these. So uh, buckle in, the first thing is, and no. No, we're not going to go through each one of them one by one, but there's some general examples like soil erosion, water and soil contamination, acidification, which is things becoming more acidic, salinization, which is things becoming more salty, and aridification, which are things becoming more arid, or becoming a desert, which does happen and has been happening for a long time in a lot of places where we over-overcrop, um... And this is rolling the land usage because it makes it less habitable and useful to us. Because fuck them animals. But, in, but yes, it does also cause damage to the environment and wildlife, which if we were capable of morality, we'd really give a shit about that. But, you know, fuck them. <laughs> okay, now the other definition to talk about is land management. This is the, and hold on to your panties, management, use, and development of land and land resources. And this includes everything from urban districting and public works projects to urban planning to organic agriculture, reforestation, water management, ecotourism, public parks, and things like that. Uh, This would also include things like the use of public land, land ownership and registration, dams, wildlife management, and sustainable agriculture. And nowadays this is primarily about responsible use rather than just usage in general. And some of those would be things like habitat conservation, wildlife management, sustainable agriculture, and conservation grazing. Uh, habitat conservation wildlife management are pretty self-explanatory since if you're anywhere near around my age you've been bombarded with those terms by Animal Planet since the first time your brain could take two neurons and smash them together. But sustainable agriculture is just a method of farming where we not only increase the value of agricultural products to make them healthier, but also to make the process a lot more efficient and increase the quality of life for everything involved. While conservation grazing is the practice of letting your farm animals maintain the landscape by letting them wander around in each hit to keep the undergrowth and the forest under control, and also to keep the weeds out of your fields. So if you're wondering why the episode is the length that it is for, like, how narrow of a topic it seems like, uh, that's why. Because there's a lot of terms and also two very distinct ways to think about this. Now, there's also a few other things that are closely related to this entire field that's used to help with land management. So, first is the environmental management schemes, which is largely using the UK's Countryside Stewardship Program, um, as well as some other, uh, other countries. Um, it's basically a subsidy, which, that word makes my fucking skin crawl now, uh, for programs to help to protect or improve the environment, and if you're a farmer, forester, or registered landowner, you can register for this and collect the money. Um... Of course, you do have to, like, actually maintain the land and also, like, protect the animals and plants on it, but, yeah, know. Um, there is also a discipline of science called Land Change Science, which is an interdisciplinary study of climate, land use, land coverage, ecology, and other natural sciences that, with their power combined, summons Captain Plan to tell us to fuck ourselves. They basically evaluate patterns and consequences of land use over time and environmental processes to better understand climate change or impact on it and how we can prevent further damage. And finally is geomatics engineering, which is a discipline of engineering that studies and analyzes spatial environments, natural resources, and man-made features using data points, maps, and structural information to help with land management. And those are important to say not because they're going to be like, big major themes of this episode but because I know for a fucking fact the moment some pedantic asshole listens to this episode their first thought is going to be oh, he forgot to bring up how exactly we measure the land that we misuse that's me bringing up how we measure the land that we misuse so I'm saving them an email I'm saving me the headache of having to deal with them anyways uh, all of this has a central theme. Public land. Okay, now hold up. I know that for some number of you, hearing someone just left of American Center talking about environmentalism and then mention public land makes your makes your American hate boner rock hard and throbbing. But cool it. I'm not a commie yet. I'm just a socialist but you're surrounded by public land already. The government is the one that creates publicly owned land and scatters it all over the place. Public libraries, government offices, city, state, and national parks, public water treatment facilities, and other government-owned places that aren't explicitly restricted are all public land. Which basically means that every citizen technically owns the land and the government is in charge of managing it. And this is where both the problems and benefits come in. Because if you're American, one of the few things we can really all agree on is that the government is bad at its job. But the fact that it's the government does have some benefits. So let's start with those. The first biggest benefit of public land is ecological. Because by having public land, we ensure that there's a way to preserve plants, animals, air, and water, while also maintaining and increasing biodiversity and trying to find ways to delay the inevitabilities of climate change. Why is that? Well, because if the government has decided that they're going to do the bare minimum to help the environment by making sure we don't entirely fuck it up, then what you technically have is a plot of that's protected by the Forestry Service, the local police, FBI, CIA, U.S. Army, every single nuclear warhead ever created by Americans. And if you really want to be a piece of shit and just litter incessantly, you might get the attention of the president. Uh, All of that to say is that, basically, uh, when the U.S. protects land, it is putting the entire force of the U.S. right behind it. So, I I doubt it would ever get to the point where the President of the United States would be making a news broadcast about you littering. Actually, that might happen. I don't... The world's fucking crazy. I have no idea anymore. I think I've lost the plot of, of reality. Uh, anyways, the second benefit is the economic usage of public land. Because as of 2017, public land provided about 7.6 million jobs in the U.S. Also, public land is used for resource extraction because, believe it or not, the government likes to do that too, and it's not just oil barons. So we also use it for things like timber, minerals, fuel, and also renewable energy. Which, if you remember that episode, that is a fuckload of money. Also, just from recreationally used public land, we netted $887 billion a year. Which is, I don't know, like double our fucking national revenue a year. Or 26% of our entire GDP. Which makes it a pretty big fucking deal. Alright, so third is the social benefit, because believe it or not, you can't buy everything humans need to live with money. Or rather, you shouldn't sell everything humans need to live for money. Some of that you should just give away for free, in my opinion, like housing and food. But, getting away from the leftist shit, uh, by having public land, you're able to provide public services like law enforcement, firefighting, education, and TANF. Now, there's also discounts, recreation, and parks, because holy shit, didn't you know? Humans need to exist in nature to be healthy. Who fucking knew that a creature developed in a natural environment needs to be in a natural environment sometimes? But having public parks... But having public parks supports our physical, mental, and emotional health, so having public land lets us actually address human needs instead of the capitalist ones. Socialists approved. And the last big benefit is cultural. and this is keeping culturally important sites like historic areas and old settlements, sacred places like temples and sacred carvings, and other areas of cultural cultural and religious history, then you get to keep the culture and history of the country alive. I mean, both the good and the bad parts, which I think personally is a good thing. We need to remember the terrible, terrible shit we've done. Because if you make this land available for sale, then places in my own home state, like the Kandwa Chung Company building, or the grave site of Old Chief Joseph, two important cultural mar- uh, landmarks for the history of Oregon, you bet your ass that Walmart is going to buy that shit up within 35 milliseconds, bulldoze it, and place a super center on it without a single fuck about the historical importance given. Or, if you sold to any of the state parks, it would get turned into lumber mills and mines faster than you can drop a toothpick down your dick. Shockingly fast. But like I said, there's some problems too. And the issues do, and the issues really do come from the fact that it's the U.S. government that's in charge of public land, so let's go through those two. Firstly, is the low diversity of public land use, and this comes in two prongs, like you do once you have a toothpick wedge in your pee hole. Firstly, and less controversially, is the diversity of how we use public land. Because in general, when public land is cut up into different things to be used for, it's almost always just one of the following. Infrastructure like government offices, highways, and power plants, public parks and recreation areas, or extraction sites like government-sponsored mines and forestry. And this is an issue because the government doesn't seem very interested in using a plot of land for multiple purposes. Like, for example, if they buy an urban plot of land and put it in a DHS office just to realize that a lot of the space is unused, they don't often do much about that. Because in that situation, you can have other government offices in the same buildings, uh, resources you'd normally have to go off-site for, or I mean, I mean, fucking, you could even use the remaining space for like a free park or something really socialist, like free childcare, or some shit. But again, the government being the government, that usually doesn't happen. The more controversial prong is that people making use of much of the land are affluent and white, primarily in this case, being in reference to recreation areas. And this robs the benefits of these places to the poor minorities. Which, if you didn't know, is actually the majority of... Which, if you didn't know, is actually the majority of Americans. Which rolls right into the next issue. Access. For people living in urban or rural environments, access to public services is rare, and having access to public land from this angle is just difficult. But even from the park perspective... Most Americans have difficulty because parks are so spread out, and usually difficult for most people to get to, you decrease the ability for the, repeat after me, poor minorities to see it. Especially with our reliance on cars, and the fact that most parks are far from urban population centers. Next is actually kind of a weird one. Security of tenure. Which is basically that it's hard to guarantee public land being used appropriately because land conflicts are a common form of bureaucracy, red tape, and lawsuits, and as these things take a while, acquiring land for public use is really difficult. And on top of that, because we view land ownership as the only way to escape poverty, or as, like, the sole marker that you're no longer poor, we let these filthy fucking land-selling capitalist pigs, and I'm, I'm kind of kidding, I know a lot of people, especially where I live, have a lot of land because Grandpa used to be a farmer and no one's been willing to part with it yet, just name their fucking price. And this wombo-combo getting spanked in the taint means that when public land is purchased, the process to develop and use it takes for goddamn effort as the litigations and red tape roll through, and by the time it's done, the government wants to make sure that the investment is worth it. And that is usually measured in money, so, you know, the hell with the barokies and the public services and the beasts of the forest, daddy's going to plop down a power relay station and charge everyone 20 more bucks a month. There's also regulatory barriers for land use, which, in my opinion, is usually good. The problem is that we have so many fucking regulations around the usage of land that we don't really have a quick way to sell, transfer, seize, buy, or develop land, which, again, in some contexts is good, but that also means that we can't really address the needs of the people in a reasonable amount of time. This also results in plotting rules where land plots are divided by what the government or a seller thinks should or could be placed there, and not what actually should or was intended or was intended use is. Like, if Daddy Sam thinks that actually this plot of land should be used for a police station, but you, a scrappy up-and-coming state engineer, wants to build a more general emergency response station, it might be close to retirement before they agree that they should just combine these three empty plots of land that they own that are right next to each other that haven't sold in 20 years uh, to achieve the thing that was relevant when you started. And I mean, we also suck donkey balls at planning, like Americans in general. And the government isn't any better. In fact, you probably say that's a lot worse. So we have a ton of wasted public land because. No one can really be fucked to take two matching puzzle pieces and snap them together and are instead focused on how you're supposed to connect two corner pieces together. Making all this worse is the double whammy again, this time once in each nutsack, of land being a limited resource and also the politics of land usage and ownership. We aren't getting more of it and because of us fucking up the environment, we're actually in the process of losing it. So we need to use it more responsibly instead of acting like we can just keep going westward forever. We've already hit the coastline. There's no more this way. Stop coming here and trying. But on the political side, political groups are constantly fighting and shoving each other back and forth about appropriate land usage. And this is a fight that we never see happen publicly because it's not cool. It's not a cool thing to talk about. And while we're doing that, we aren't really using the land. Which is a problem to just have empty land sitting out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, but let's talk about why all this is happening with the history section. And we start in 8,000 BC when humans first begin to intentionally develop land for agriculture and infrastructure. Because this is the Neolithic era, and us fucking Chad humans realized that God and nature wasn't going to stop us if we wanted to sign our own death certificate that we never read. But this wasn't very major at first. But while this wasn't very major at first, as we started to grow in population and develop this funky thing called civilization, we started to build bigger and bigger stuff. Before the classical era, most of these cities and civilized places were developed more organically but some civilizations like the Minoans, Mesopotamians, Harappan, Egyptians and obviously the Chinese and Japanese were already doing urban planning and some real like Sim City style city building. And we know from archaeological evidence of and we know from archaeo- archaeological evidence of city streets being built in grid patterns. And we've found some examples from people like the Harapon housing being laid out with options for perfectly uniform spaces for both privacy and convenience. Or how Mesopotamian civilizations would plan cities for maximum defensibility. China and Japan were especially building fortified cities around this time. Also, much of how we thought about the world at this point was that nature was secondary and at the command of humanity and was there for exploitation, which would stick around for a very long time, and in some cases is still around today. And once the ancient Greeks and Romans came about, we started to get much more city planning in the West. And with that comes a stealing of the credit f- for the very idea of city planning. With Hippotamus being called the first town and city planner ever, and also the developer of the orthogonal orth- s- urban layout. Uh, which just means right angles, and I probably should have just said right-angled layout, Uh, but obviously this isn't true. We just talked about 6,000 years of urban planning before this. However, he did really introduce it for the ancient Greeks and popularized this method of planning. He also started a centuries-long debate on its usefulness and applications, and the ancient Romans, obviously, stole it from them, but they added details for convenience, and luckily for us, They wrote down how they did it. So their cities would be laid out as a central forum for civil services surrounded by a rectangular street grid. All the roads were equally sized except for the Cardo and Decumanus roads, going north-south and east-west respectively to form the center of the grid. And each square was delineated by a group of four roads, which would form a city block. And these blocks would be filled with buildings connected by side streets and alleyways, and then the entire city would be surrounded by a wall. A lot of these buildings weren't built or planned on, but were instead kind of just stuffed into places people needed them. And these building styles were used to be found for colonies and to quickly restore cities all throughout this period. But now we get to the Middle Ages, and due to the rampant devastation of the fall of Rome and also each other, and the Mongols, and the Huns, and also the plague, and fires, and natural disasters, and losing knowledge, much of Europe was turned inside out, like it grabbed itself by the anus and pulled. So urban planning kind of fell by the wayside until the 10th and 11th centuries, when the region stabilized a bit and allowed for urban planning to be revived. But up through the 14th century, most settlements were basically like a fortified building or compound, i.e. a castle or abbey, surrounded by surrounded by the buildings and people required to keep it alive. But by the 14th century, a lot of towns would be extended and enlarged as population sizes exploded, as many lords started to, de- started to dedicate themselves to much greater levels of planning. This era is also when we start to see game laws come about, which I'm sure is confusing to you fucking gaggle nerds, but this isn't about d and classes nobles weren't allowing at their tables, but instead regulations on who could hunt where and what. And was this to protect the animals? The fuck no, it was because only the king gets to motherfuck that deer in the face with a war bow. Kidding, they didn't use a war bow to hunt, that would be stupid. But did you know that they used to sometimes hunt boar on horseback with a fucking glance because they'd literally joust with you, and sometimes the human would lose? Wild. Wild boards are fucking terrifying. Anyways, one of the first of these game laws was a qualification law in England in 1389, where it forbid anyone making less than 40 shillings a year, or a clergyman making less than 10 pounds a year, to keep or use hunting animals, weapons, or gear. Uh, but going back to urban planning, Florence was adapted into a star-shaped city, which, if you listen to Nerd, was mimicking star-shaped fortresses meant to improve its defensiveness. And since in the 1400s, originality wasn't invented yet, this was copied all over the world. Additionally, during the 1400s, a lot of people became more and more interested in the concept of a city with a single large structure at its heart. However, it wasn't really possible to just collapse the entire middle of your fucking city and put a big-ass forum there. Cities weren't really centrally planned like that, but one good example of this was the 1464 Libro Architection uh, Architectionico's Holy shit, uh, uh written by Uh This city design was an eight pointed star design and is surrounded by a circular moat. Uh, each outer point was capped to towers, and the inside angles contained a gatehouse. Uh, from there, there were radial avenues that would converge onto a large square in the center, and there would also be a square for a palace, cathedral, and market. Uh, every other street would have a canal for cargo transport and connected to outside rivers. Uh, he also included something called the House of Vice and Virtue, where the bottom was a brothel and the top was an academy, uh, I don't know what the fuck he was on when he came up with that, but I'm game. And now we jump forward to the Baroque period of the 17th and 18th centuries, when Rome was reformed to create maximum visibility, uniformity, and traffic efficiency. And because of the Baroque period as well, nobles and rulers started to redesign their own cities to both demonstrate not just how massive their cock was, but also to make them more efficient. Once the Industrial Revolution begins, people start realizing that, oh fuck, we can't just be dumping corpses, human shit, coal, ash, and toxic sludge into the river and start to actually consider our impact on the environment and we start to think about conservation efforts. In particular, Sir James Ronald Martin championed this movement and he published tons of reports about damage caused by human activity. In order to both help out with this and also to keep the Brokies from hunting on the King's Land, the Night pu- Night Punching... The Night Poaching Act was passed in Britain in 1828, which outlawed, quote, the taking or destroying of Game at Night. Hmm. Was, hmm. Considering ad-libbing a sex joke there, but there's no way to make a sex joke without implying that I an animal. Anyways, uh, three years later, the Game Act passed in Britain, uh, which closed hunting season during certain seasons to protect game birds. And this not only created the occupation gamekeeper, but was also actually established to help birds. In 1842, the Madras the Madras Board of Revenue started doing local conservation, headed by Alexander Gibson, an example of one of the first state-controlled conservation efforts. Thirteen years later, Governor General Lord Dollhouse and if there's a different way to pronounce that uh get face fuck I know that's dollhouse uh began one of the first per- one of the first permanent forest conservation movements this was followed up in 1869 nice when britain passed the seabird preservation act to further protect birds and a full 20 years later emily williamson founds the royal society for the protection of birds in protest to the use of birds like great crested Grib and the Kidawake in clothing, but enough with the con- with the but uh, enough with the nature conservation bullshit. In 1898, we have a new development in the field of urban planning. Sir Ebenezer Howard initiated the Garden City movement, where satellite communities would be placed around a central city with green with green agriculture and nature areas separating them out. These were designed to have separate, self-sustainable residence, industrial, and agricultural areas. And this became a really popular all over the world as a way to separate the commercial, industrial, and residential areas. However, only two were ever actually built. But this is actually starting to see some resurgence with the concept of a 15-minute city. But John, like, what conspiracy theorists will tell you is not some weird satanic thing or a way for the government to castrate you. It's just a way to make your city walkable. Also, they the government would not, like, tear down and rebuild and redesign a full fucking city uh, because it's the government. They're lazy because we're lazy. It would probably just be, like, a brand new city that they'd build. Anyways, we also have the origins of geomatics engineering in 1912 and the death of the Garden City movement in the 1920s as the modernism movement comes about. Which is a method of urban planning where you arrange 60-foot-tall cruciform skyscrapers in the middle of large parks surrounding a hub of transportation in the middle of the city. Beyond those, you'd set up zigzag street designs of apartments, And this design allows for easy use of automobiles and increases industrial productivity. And, uh, yeah, if all that sounds familiar, yeah, this is what cities are designed, this is why cities are designed the way that they are now. And then by the 1960s, we start to actually think that maybe how we design cities and use land affects human behavior. I mean, who fucking knew, right? Also modernization. Also, modernism starts to become criticized for a variety of reasons by a lot of fields, and we move quickly towards minimalism and individualism. Which, as Americans, we know about that, and also, terrible fucking idea. Speaking of which, now we move on to the American timeline. Beginning in 1646. And at this time, since we were still a colony, how we set up our cities were basically the same as England's. but In Portsmouth, we passed a law that closed deer season from May 1st to, to November 1st to protect the game from becoming too scarce. However, these laws weren't very effective and were also pretty hard to enforce. Uh, but and with that, things stayed the same until we jump right past the revolution and directly to 1817 as we create more game laws. Which I gotta say, that really does feel like we're ignoring a war zone to watch some roly-polies, But, hey, this is the topic. So Massachusetts uh, begins to close some seasons for some animals to protect the game populations, and as other states would follow suit, this has resulted in some of the best protected game in the entire world. A courtesy not extended to about a million Americans at the time. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. In the 1850s, due to a massively rising population in the U.S. and industrialization, we started to care about centralized planning, in particular as it comes to power, gas, and water. But but also because we were beginning to urbanize a lot. And after a large mapping and conservation effort, the government pulled the now Yellowstone National Park area out of public auction and founded the first national park in the U.S. in 1872. In 1900, uh, the Lacey Act was passed, giving the USDA oversight over game and required game importation to have a permit. Which game, impor- which game importation is basically just that you need a permit to move game meat across borders. Uh, also in the early 1900s, cities become the centers of industry, science, and administration as we start to experiment with new ideas of city specialization and centralization. Mostly due to central planning efforts which lets American cities become notable worldwide and not just a big deal to us. In 1913, saying that we were obliterating the populations of migratory birds as they flew by, the government passed the Weeks-McLean Act, which put them under the protection of the government. Again, imagine that those geese are protected by the army. However, because the act wasn't worded great and kind of implied any kind of bird that traveled a lot, it prevented wild fowl hunting. So, in 1918, it was amended with the passing of the Migratory Bird Act, which basically specified that, yes, you can pop a wild turkey, but not a goose. In the 1920s and 30s, conservationists, including the notable conservationist Aldo Leopold, introduces the occupation of wildlife manager in the U.S. And their ideas actually ran contrary to previous generations of conservation. But instead of restricting people harshly, we can instead use interventive techniques, science and technology, to make life better for the wildlife and environment without robbing us of the land entirety. And by 1933, Leopold publishes a textbook called Game Management and teaches as a professor in, say with me, Game Management. In the same year, the Wildlife Society was founded and the Journal of Wildlife Management begins to be published. And why is all this happening? Well, because Americans are starting to move a lot further out west and urbanize more westward. And seeing as we were an industrial powerhouse marching towards the west coast, we were chewing up and spitting out nature like a bad blowjob, and very quickly people who were both sensible and educated realized, oh shit, that's bad. And worked with rural people, who were saying the same thing, to push back. In 1937... Uh, a 10% tax on guns and ammo is introduced with the Federal Aid in Wildlife Protection Act to help fund wildlife conservation. And all of this is really put on hold when the Nazis become our enemies, because remember, kids, America only started hating Nazis when they attacked our friends. Oh, and also when we got soccer punched by Japan against basically everyone's better judgment, including Japan's. That's, that's a deeper topic. Uh, but despite this change in focus... There's still plenty of wildlife protection groups. The government just has bigger concerns right now, I and mean, like, real ADHD girlfriend energy there. However, once the war ended, we got really into hunting as a nation, which makes sense given a lot of people coming home just spending years of their lives sitting in the woods with a gun scared for their lives. So it makes sense that they would want to flip the script and give some elk the World War II experience. And speaking of which, to make up for the massive amounts of hunting, we start to overpopulate particular animals, like like elk, assuming that we could hunt them all. But, much like we often do, we don't really think about the possible downsides, and soon we have to start culling. But this is both ineffective and unpopular. Uh, speaking of things coming part of the seams, our cities... So we begin to cut up land like crazy for suburbs, which are a huge wastes of land and are also gonna be another episode. And because we're plotting these things out and the people America actually cares about, the affluent white ones, begin to flee the cities, they begin to fall apart from neglect. By nineteen sixty five, due to an effort to modernize, the government begins to bulldoze at neighborhoods, forcibly buy homes, and split neighborhoods for for totally totally not racist reasons, and put up highways, commercial districts, and tourist locations. However, after massive academic and public outcry, and also some riots, uh, central planning in the U.S. starts to collapse under the pressure. And this was not helped by the Cold War, with suddenly the idea of centralized planning being associated with those no-good fucking commies. And as of the 1970s and 80s, like, usual in these timelines, things get fucked up. On the conservation side, it rises and falls massively in popularity as we keep fucking our entire shit up and just failing to address the issue, Uh, and we continue to fuck it up, continuing to the present day when wildlife conservation has remained as both incredibly effective and ineffective in equal measure, especially when it comes to the Bureau of Land Management and the Environmental Protection Agency. Meanwhile... As we turn our attention more and more away from urban centers, and work is exported overseas, these places begin to crumble. But, uh, with that we're going to jump out of the timeline and talk about some of the data. Alright, so this section is going to be almost entirely data, and this is more to prove a point about our land usage than anything else. Because how we deal with stuff right now is basically the same as it's been since the 70s and the 80s. And we're going to start with our landmass usage, worldwide. So 27% of all land on the planet is used for livestock. And this includes meat and dairy production, grazing ranges, and also the growing of feeding crops. Which for context is about the size of the Americas. 26% of the planet are forests or or about the size of Africa and the Middle East to India. And why, you might be asking, are we not using this area? Well, because trees are important, dickhead, don't be dumb. 19% of the world is barren land, which are deserts, salt flats, and rock, which is about the size of Europe and Russia combined. 10% is glaciers, which also includes areas of permafrost and permanent snow and ice, which is about the size of Greenland and Antarctica, which is... Yeah, that, that tracks. Uh... of the planet is shrubland, which includes small and woody vegetation. And this is about the size of Oceania, or like Australia and a lot of the uh, Southeast Asian islands. Uh, 7% of all land in use is cropland, which means crops used to to feed people. This is about the size of Southeast Asia, China, and Japan. 1% of our land mass is actually water in the sense of lakes, rivers, and bodies of drinkable water. Which is about the size of Mongolia. Yep, all of our drinkable water in the entire world could fit within the bounds of Mongolia. But don't have an existential crisis quite yet because all of human infrastructure, all of our cities, and basically everything we've ever built could fit within the borders of Libya or the last 1% of usable land on the planet. Yes, think about that. All of human construction fits within a single country. Mind, a large country in Africa, but still a single country. Now, as far as the rankings for each country goes for how much land is used in agriculture, number one is Bangladesh at 61.46%, second is Ukraine at 56.82%, and third is India at 52.26%. And how much of uh, how much of America is used for, for crops? 17.24%. And for pasturing, Saudi Arabia uses 79.08% of its land, 71.5% of Mongolia, and 68.56% of Uruguay. Meanwhile, the US uses twenty-six point eight two percent of its landmass for pastures. However, if we look at just like bulk agricultural land usage in the top three are China with 527.71 million hectares, which is about 258th of a square mile. The U.S. has 405.81 million hectares and Australia has 355.78 million hectares. However, again, if we look at per capita, then Canada is number one at 1.32 per person the U.S. has 0.47 per person. Brazil has 0.4 per person. Latin America and the Caribbean without Brazil has 0.28. And Europe without Russia has 0.28 as well. And finally, just to demonstrate how much we've grown as a species over time and how much Mommy Earth isn't proud of us, uh, as of 1600, 1.8. 1. 07 million hectares worldwide was constructed on Uh, 583.55 million hectares was for grazing and pasturing and 272.6 million was used for cropland But as of 2016 worldwide we had 59.56 million hectares built upon 3.28 billion for grazing and 1.59 billion for crops in the US as of 1600 We had 2,713 hectares built up, which makes sense. We weren't really doing a whole lot. 1.5 million for grazing and 593,611,000 hectares for cropland. Compared to the modern day, or 2016, which is seven years ago, by the way. Have fun thinking about that. 13.48 million hectares is constructed. 253.08 million hectares was for grazing. 154.62 154.62 million hectares was for cropland. And hopefully what that shows you is that uh, we have a lot of land being used for agriculture and most of it is for grazing, which also if you uh, if you understand uh, like dietary science, we shouldn't be doing that because most of the human diet should be fruit and vegetables. Uh, But anyways, with that, we're going to go over to the opinions. Okay, and this week, really, this is going to be the solutions section, because we don't really have a whole lot of opinions to cover. And it's not for a lack of them, it's because almost every single opinion piece I found was either a very personal, political, or, like, gripe thing. And the few others I found I think were really specific and hard to turn into more general, like this is what Americans think. So let's just talk about those solutions. Now, the only real way to fix our land usage issues is to get more sustainable. But you might be asking, hey, how do we do that? Well, lucky for you, I did manage to find that. So, firstly, it's conservation and agriculture. And this is done through reducing soil disturbance by reducing the amount you till, using cover crops, and keeping the soil healthy by rotating crops out. The second is agroforestry by integrating trees into agriculture, residential areas, and urban landscapes. Uh, This provides windbreaks, shade, makes soil a lot better, and can either give you personally, or a farm, a new income source, uh, grants rain shelter, and can also help clean the air, which is really good in urban environments. We should also use integrated pest management, you know, again, using crop rotations, uh, pest expelling plants, and if you have to use natural or organic chemicals to get rid of pests without the use of pesticides. Fourth, we need to use water a lot better, considering that, uh, yeah, we don't have a ton of it. So we need more water conservation efforts, limit or prevent waterway dumping, and create more effective water distribution to cut down on the water waste. Uh, Also, we could start doing, Uh, I mean, also we could start doing things like collecting rainwater and reorganize our water distribution system to get water where it actually needs to go instead of just out. And then finally is sustainable forestry and livestock, which basically just means not being a dickhead to plants and animals and also not being done with our resources and actually doing stuff like, I don't know, like, post-cut planting and using logging management and also not just cramming livestock together into muddy pens without enough grazing room and pumping them full of drugs and oh fuck we livestocked ourselves that horrifying realization aside let's talk about solutions to a couple of the other issues so addressing the issue of how low diversity is is kind of difficult in the more controversial sense because it would basically mean solving racism and income inequality and uh this is America. I don't know if you've been here before, but those are kind of fundamental to being an American. However, on the less controversial end, we could literally just use public land for more than just a single use. Like, having a plot of highway where underneath of it, instead of just nasty fucking concrete, we could, I don't know, plant some trees? Or have logging on a cyclical pattern with a parkland? You know, the help with access, we could buy more land and easily accessible places, especially in urban areas. And look, I'm going to be honest with you, the rest of the possible solutions are like litigation things that are like very boring. And when I looked it up, I almost screamed because of how fucking boring it was. So we are not going to really talk about those uh, beyond the simple phrase of playing better forehead but uh, with that let's go over to the soapbox okay so what do i think about land management i mean, it's really simple gang this is yet another episode where the entire issues is that we're just shitty at planning because land management is a problem not only be- is a problem only because we don't pay attention we paid better attention and mind, and actually try to do one of the few things that you need to do as a government. Then we'd very easily fix all the shit that's broken. I mean, it. And it's not even like a situation of having too many fires to put out. That this is slipping past us. We have the capacity to fix all of this. We know we do, and we just we don't because we're we're lazy about it. Like, otherwise, I don't really feel too strongly, and it's not for a lack of emotion, it's just, I'm so tired of this being the thing over and over again. I mean, it's, I think it's actually something I talked about on a Fireside Chat of, like, one of the biggest signs that things are going shit is a uh, terrible, terrible use of land. And also a terrible use of infrastructure. Like, those are some of the biggest signs that your entire nation is just fucking it up. But yeah, let's let's get out of here. Okay, really short soapbox, I know, but this episode is more fascinating than anything else in some ways. And also, work has been dragging me away early, uh, so this episode is very late. Also, work is not the only problem; I am also the problem. Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyways, if you have opinions, advice on how to make the show better, ideas on your own self-sustainable utopia, why you believe the government is actually doing a bang-up job, and really anything else you want to tell me, make sure to email me at waytatpods at gmail.com. That is W-A-Y-T-A-T-P-O-D-S at gmail.com. Or to check out my other podcast, Way Tat Nerd, where I do basically the same thing with nerd topics like fantasy, sci-fi, role-playing games, etc., where I hope you'll like the topics just as much. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at Waytat underscore pods for more episode announcements. And to watch old episodes and also to watch uh, Fireside Chat with Waytat, Uh, you can check me out at Waytat Pods on YouTube. Have a good night, don't murder, have fun, and remember, the world only sucks because we're lazy. This has been Why You're Talking About This. I've been your host, William. Good night.